Welcome to the Crossing Church Podcast. This week, our lead pastor, Greg Dumas, continues our Into the Trenches series with a message titled, Turning Point. We hope you enjoy this weekend's message. Lord, we thank you for today. We pray that uh, we would leave here being changed from the inside out. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. amen and amen. Well, if you're watching from somewhere around the world, it's officially cold in Tampa. Uh, we're, we're under 50, and so that's cold. Uh, not, not, uh, not the least bit uh, cold if you're in Green Bay. <laughs> Can I get an amen? Uh, so 75 degrees colder. Woo! So we're in a series, and the series is called Trench Warfare, and we're talking about winning the war. You know, every war has a turning point where one side begins to win, the other side begins to lose. During the Revolutionary War, where America fought for its independence, that was the Battle of Saratoga, if you remember your history. And the Civil War, it was the Battle of Gettysburg. And then in World War I, it was the Battle of Somme. It was very costly for the Allied forces in World War I, the very first day of battle, of war, uh, Great Britain lost 56,000 soldiers the very first day. But there was a change that occurred that was dramatic for Britain. Uh, a whole lot more firepower began to be produced after those great losses, variety and quantity. And it was the firepower church, the fire, everybody say firepower. It was the firepower, not the manpower that won World War I. This graph shows how much artillery Great Britain produced before Somme. And you see that in the dark blue and after Somme in light blue, a dramatic change. And I really just feel, you know, like sometimes it's the difficulties and the heartaches that propel us to do the things that we maybe before the heartaches didn't want to really do. Can I get an amen? It, it's the difficulty sometimes that, that quickens us to do the things, to get involved, to be uh, more vocal, to be more active, to find more grace in God, really to do what we have to do. I believe we're at a turning point in America. I believe we're at a turning point in our nation. I really do. And, and uh, I don't think it's too late. Can I get an amen, somebody? Come on now. I don't think it's too late. That's pessimism. As long as Christians are still here and we're still breathing, God's in the fight. God, God is in the fight. Yeah, we can clap for that. Let's do it. What's up? We really need the firepower to get us to the next level. And there was one event in history that provided firepower spiritually for every Christian in the world, it's called Pentecost, Pentecost. I know some of you are new and you hear the word Pentecost and you know, you have an image come to your mind maybe. And I just want to tell you, Pentecost means 50. All right. It, 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 that's all it means. It just means 50th. And so seven, seven weekends after Easter is when we celebrate Pentecost. And it was the inauguration of the pouring out of the Holy Spirit upon the apostles and those who were gathered there in Jerusalem at the Feast of Tabernacles. Um, and they were receiving the grace of God. He poured himself out at Pentecost. And I believe we need the spiritual firepower. In the Old Testament, there were just partial visitations and impartations of the Holy Spirit. And these visitations came on special people and special occasions. But there were foreshadowings in the Old Testament of what God wanted to do in the New Testament. All the way back in Jeremiah, almost 900 years before the coming of Christ, God said, remember the law came um, on tablets of stone. And so there was an old covenant. Thank God we don't live by the old covenant. Thank God. The old covenant and the old way of the law. And God said, I'm going to establish a new covenant with you. 
and I am going to do something new. And so he was foreshadowing all the years in the coming of Christ and in the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, Jeremiah 31, 33. And I will put my law in their minds and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they will be my people. This was amazing to hear in the Old Testament because there were only, again, partial visitations with special people and special times. And then God says in Joel 2, 28, after the day of his recompense with Israel, the day of the Lord is what it's called. He says, and afterwards, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy and your old men will dream dreams. Come on, man, what's up? Come on, and your young men will see visions. And even on my maidservants, he says, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. It's a foreshadowing of what happened in Pentecost, that day of Pentecost. Remember, the Holy Spirit descended, there were tongues as of fire over their heads and they spoke in other languages and the gospel went powerfully forward that day. 3,000 people got saved. That's a pretty good Sunday afternoon. That's a pretty good Sunday afternoon. So God now, where it was limited, where the Holy Spirit was limited, and we can thank God for this, the Holy Spirit was limited in the Old Testament. He has full expression in the New Testament of the day of Pentecost. There's just the fullness that's poured out for you and for me. And I believe, and we believe here at the crossing that there are three baptisms, three baptisms, okay? When we talk about baptism, I know that we, we think of water baptism. That's the one we think of most often. Now, years ago, I baptized a friend. We were in North Carolina on a men's retreat, and we went down to this little creek. And I tell a story all the time. It's my favorite baptism story. It was cold, um, like it is in Tampa. <clears throat> it was cold, and we went down into the water. Some of you say, why do you baptize by immersion? Uh, because it's the closest to this word called baptizo. It's the uh, New Testament word, the Greek word. And it's used every place baptism is used in the scripture, and it means to immerse or to submarine. It's actually a submarine term. It means to go under. And so that's why we baptized in water the way that we do. And, and so I put him in the water. I made sure that he went all the way down. I held him down extra long because he was that kind of guy. <laughs> made sure and shake him while he was down there. I put, it, I put him in the water, he came out of the water and he was very vigorous, he was saying, yes! And then he turned around and he started vigorously, you know, he's going like this in the water. I said, what are you doing? He said, I'm sending my old man down the stream. He said, I want my old man to go that way. When we think about baptism, we think about water baptism. I wanna tell you, the scripture has three baptisms. And if you believe in one, which is the water baptism, you believe in the other one, do you know or do you recognize that we're all, when we trust Christ, we're baptized into the church and baptized into Christ, also the church. And so when we think about water baptism, well, let's, let me lay it out for you, okay? Holy Spirit, baptize, everybody say Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit baptizes us in Christ, Matthew 28, 18. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit of God, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. This is the one we're most familiar with. Holy Spirit baptizes us into Christ. All right, the next one, Holy Spirit baptizes us into the church, 1 Corinthians 12, 13. For we all are baptized by, say, one spirit, one spirit into one body one spirit into one body, whether Jew or Greek, slave or free, and we're all given the one spirit to drink. 
And now I want you to see that Jesus does the baptizing into the Holy Spirit. I believe that this is a secondary event. In other words, you have the Holy Spirit when you receive Jesus as Savior. Can I get an amen? Okay, I believe there's a second occurrence. Everybody say second occurrence. Okay, where there is an anointing or an infilling or the baptism of the Holy Spirit that happens after salvation. Can I get an amen? Okay, if, if you have... Now, scholars around the world will admit the syntax, the grammar, looks just like this in, in the text of the scripture. What they don't agree to is whether or not this happened after the first hundred years in church history. And so here's what I want to say to you. The fullness of the Holy Spirit and the baptism of the Holy Spirit is for us today because if we don't have it, we're not going anywhere in this world. We... So Jesus baptizes us in the Holy Spirit, Matthew 3, 11. I baptize you with water for repentance. The I is John the baptizer, John the Baptist. But after me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not fit to carry. He, this he, is Jesus. Jesus, when he comes, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire, that means trial and difficulty, comes with the gospel, unfortunately or fortunately. It's the trials, church, that bring out the gold in us. Come on. It's, it's the trials. It's the fire that burns away the chaff that gives us the grace to serve God. And so this is reminiscent of Jesus and his baptism. It was like the Levitical priest in the Old Testament. He went under the water, that's the cleansing. And then when he came out, remember the Bible says the Holy Spirit came down like a dove. And it, the Holy Spirit isn't a dove, you guys, okay? It's just a symbol. He came down, it means it was fleeting. The Holy Spirit came down like a dove, landed on Jesus, Filled. So he, Jesus, was, Jesus had the Holy Spirit at birth, right? Without measure, right? But Jesus had a water baptism, and then Jesus had a baptism of the anointing of the Holy Ghost. Can I get an amen? amen. And upon that baptism, the anointing that came on him, then he went out to do his ministry. I think we need this kind of firepower if we're not just going to survive in this world, but we're going to thrive and see God do miracles in this world. I believe as it gets darker, it's going to get lighter at the same time. God's going to multiply his light and grace in all of us. The spirit of God is able to transform fear and doubt into faith and action. We see this in the story of a man named Gideon in the book of Judges. It's where you get this Gideon's Bible that you see all over. This is the character. The Midianites were at war with Israel and they were sending raiding parties against them continually and they had depleted them and they were at the point of starvation and God raised up a judge. His name was Gideon. Here's his conversation. Judges 6, 12 through 16. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. He said, but sir, Gideon replied, uh, if the Lord is with us, why has all these things happened to us? You ever asked the Lord that question? If you're with this nation, Lord, and it was founded upon your principles, and why is it so upside down right now? Where are all of his wonders? How many of you are New Testament believers? How many of you have been a believer more than 30 years? More than 40 years? More than 50 years? Anybody more than 50? More than 60? More than 70? Lord Jesus, that's a fire. Okay, more than 70, more than 80. Anybody here, maybe at the other campuses, South Shore, Plant City? All right, if you're more than 80, we're going to throw a party. More Christian, more than 80, 
we're throwing a party. Okay, we're a young church, aren't we? What's up? All right, see, here's, here's what I want to say to you. Generational Christians, those that have been Christians 50, 60, 70 years, they saw the miracles of God. Can I get an amen? amen. They saw the miracles of God. And I believe that it's time for us to see the miracles of God. We can't just survive on, on, we can't just survive on didactic, just sort of linear teaching models and principles. We need to see the power in the presence of God. And, and so Gideon is saying, what happened, Lord? If this is you, what happened? Where are all of his wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, did not, did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us into the hands of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? But Lord, Gideon said, how can I save Israel? Say, I want you to say this. How can I do anything for you? And then he says this, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I'm the least in my family. So you pick the, the weakest clan in all of Israel and I'm the youngest guy and the weakest guy in the smallest clan that's the weakest clan. How, didn't you pick the wrong house, God? You're supposed to be at Bill's house next door. You, you picked the wrong house. You're, you're, you're talking to Greg. You're talking to Ann, Mike, Cindy, God. And here's what the Lord says to him. The Lord answered, I will be with you. I will be with you. Come on, church. Come on. Listen, it's not, based, it's not based on our strength. Whatever we do to save, to intervene, to go forward, to change, to usher a turning point in our nation, whatever we do, it's God who does it. We just stand at the doorway and say, uh, Jesus is here. And now we're, we're not talking about your own strength. We're talking about the strength of God who calls us and urges us to do something, even though we feel weak and even though we feel unqualified. So how do we turn the nation? How do we do something and, and move from where we are as attenders and keeping our mouths closed? You know, for way too long, what's happening in social media and big tech is the silencing of our nation. It literally is the silencing of the voice of a nation. And we, we, uh, we, just have to, we just have to move out and do whatever we can do. A turning point requires some change. Why were the Israelites in this position? They stopped obeying God. Judges 6, 9, and 10. I delivered you from the power of Egypt and the power of all those who oppressed you, and I drove them out before you and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am Yahweh, your God. Do not fear the gods of the Amorites and the, uh, whose land you live in, but you did not obey me. It kind of sounds like America. The turning point came when one man began to obey the word of the Lord. Judges 6, 25 and 26. This is Gideon. On that very night, the Lord said to him, take your father's young bull and a second bull, seven years old, then tear down the altar of Baal that belongs to your father and cut down the Asherah poles beside it. Build a well-constructed altar to the Lord your God on top of this rock. Take the second bull and offer it as a burnt offering with the wood of the Asherah pole you cut down. Can you get this image? This is amazing. What I want you to do is I want you to, everybody say Activate. And the very place that your fathers and your father's fathers, whatever they might be, worship false gods, I want you to go to that place that is a memorial. I want you to tear it down. And then I want you to build an altar to me on the very place where the devil was worshiped. I want you to worship me. Amen. I want, come on church now, that's, that's some stuff. That means we're the generation breakers. 
We break that generational curse and those generational sins. And, and um, listen, I know all our parents do the best they can with what they have. This isn't about blaming a generation. This is about taking a generation. This is about saying to God, God, I will be the one. Alcoholism stops in my family now. Alcoholism stops. It's about taking the darkest room in your house, traditionally, whatever the room is, and letting the Holy Spirit, I said this a week ago, letting the Holy Spirit flip that room, scour it, clean it, flip it, and then put it on display. The dirtiest room in your generation should be the one that God gets to display through you for his glory and his grace, his goodness. He is our champion. And so he's saying to this man who feels very weak, very um, distraught, Remember, people are starving. His nation is starving and God says, hey, I want you to do something about this. And he says, wait, wait, you got the wrong guy. You got the wrong guy. And then he says, now I want you to do, I want you to activate. I want you to go to the place of this worship. And so I want to ask you this question. What altars need to come down? What, what altars of the mind, what altars of action or inaction need to come down so that we can erect a memorial to God and worship him there? to see God do great and mighty things. When Gideon tore down the altar of false gods, the power of God started to move in him, the, the power, and we have more power. You know, the Holy Spirit would visit uh, uh, instruments like Gideon, but I want you to know, God has visited us, and if you believe in Jesus Christ, and you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, and as you walk through the baptism of the Holy Spirit, he gives you fire power, fire power, to do things we could never do before. Woodrow Wilson, kept us out of war in 1916. He was our president. He ran a close race and he, uh, he kept us out of war was the slogan he ran on, on 1916. Yet in early 1917, when Russia's internal political revolution sort of effectively took them out of the war against Germany, we were dropped right back into the war. And so here's, here's what I want to say to you. Whatever our intentions are as a people, as Christians or in our nation, sometimes avoiding the fight is not what we're called to do. Can I get an Amen. Let me say this again. Let's listen to us. We have become so pacified in the church, we don't know how to fight anymore. Sometimes, sometimes, I'm not talking about going to world war. I'm talking about going to war on the altars. I'm talking about going to war. Passivity is not the way we're going to win. It's not the way we're going to protect our children. And, and some of us, we got to change our minds about what's worth fighting for. I believe our nation's worth fighting for. I believe our schools are worth fighting for. I believe our marriages are worth fighting for. And I believe our children are worth fighting for. I believe our children are worth fighting for. I don't want to just give it up. I don't want to. We can't. With every war in the 1900s, America had to adapt to a developing uh, system, a strategy to win wars in our country. In World War I, it was the tank. World War II, it was the plane. And by the time we get to World War II, it was air superiority that really would win the day. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2 says that Satan, Satan, all right, is the god of this world. It even goes on to say that he's the prince of the power of the air, but I want you to know this. Everybody say, but God. God's given you weapons that defeat him every time. Here's what the scripture says, 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5. For though we live in the world, we live in this earth suit, Lord, deliver us. We do not wage war as the world does. Now you understand the war I'm talking about? 
We do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. What are the strongholds? We demolish arguments and every pretentious idea that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And that's a mouthful. Pretentious ideas that would be culturally accepted, but God says, no way, Jose. That's the translation said in my Bible. It's in Greek. No way, Jose. We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. This is a quote from the School of Advanced Air Power, U.S. Air Force. Whoever controls the air almost always, whoever controls the air almost always controls the ground. Whoever controls the air almost always controls the ground. And so what I'm asking us to do is I'm asking us to find the grace to pray to take over the air to take over the air, to, to reclaim the air, to use the power and, and of God to then speak over principalities and to disarm them because we are spiritually given that ability, that authority. That's why we're to pray the gates and that's why we're fasting and praying. And listen, if, if you haven't jumped into the fast, no shame, no condemnation, jump in with us. You don't even have to sign up. There's almost a thousand people who are fasting and praying right now. God responds to that kind of, you know, just a, I don't know if it's a humiliation or you know what I mean? If it's a, God responds that kind of sacrifice. How many of you, how many of you are, how many of you are fasting and praying? Come on around campuses. Take a look around. Wow. Good job. Good job. I, I, I. Is it okay? I want to ask a question just to, to, is it okay if we do a series of the crossing called the untouchables and we just start preaching on everything we're not supposed to preach on? Is that okay? Is that okay? I'm just setting, I'm just setting it up. Just setting it up. You can't leave if we start talking about it. We're going to start talking about COVID narrative. Come on. Come on. Come on, you guys. Some of you, some, I said COVID. So you know, here's the problem. Listen to me. We can't talk anymore. And if we can't talk anymore, we can't say what needs to be said. Even if you disagree, here's, here's what I want to say to you. America was founded on this principle. I disagree, but I love you. Listen, I disagree, but you have a right to talk about what you think is wrong. It's called free. Come on, somebody. You guys, that was slow. You guys are like free. <laughs> no speechy. It's called free speech. And, and so, 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 so listen, whenever, when we bring things up in the church and if we start talking about marital values and those kinds of things and you're struggling, there's a, there's a kind of, we, we do this. All human beings, we do, oh, wow, you're going to, you know, man. Why is, see, but when we're in this place is when we need the truth the most. It's the very thing that fathering, and fathering is necessary, truth is necessary. Hearing things that would just say, you know what, I don't agree, let me listen. Let, let me listen and then let me go and check my Bible. Let me go and check my Bible. We talk about finances in the church, same thing, you know, ah, but I'm going to tell you something. Whenever you, when you find the grace of God and resource, God multiplies unto you. God, God loves you. Our resources, it's, they're important concepts. And so when we talk about these things, it just, it's setting the stage for us to be mature. And then whatever is not true, here, here's what I want you to know. The things that are not true are the things that will hold you in captivity. 
They're just not true. But we believe them no matter what fact we see. And so anyway, I'm just telling you, don't leave the crossing, we love you. Uh, uh, we have to be able to talk, church. And I don't even know if we're gonna, I mean, I'm just putting that out there. And I'm just saying, I mean, seriously, how many of you would like to see cross campuses? How many would you like to see uh, an untouchable series? How many of you? Seriously. Untouchables. Okay. It's ama- you know what I mean? It's awesome. Those in the front row, two hands in the back, you're like, hmm. Let's talk about something else. All right, number two. All right, number two. Uh, you know, we, we need change and we need belief. We need belief. We really need to believe that God wants to use us. Gideon started out with 32,000 men in his army, but God wanted to prove to Gideon that what Gideon needed was not more of the flesh. He needs more of the power of God. And so what God will do is actually reduce your odds of winning so that you, when you do win, when we do win, we could never say, I did that. The only one left is to say, God did that. God did that. The power of God did that. Judges 7, 4 through 7. And the Lord said to Gideon, there are still too many people, 32,000. It's way too many to go to war. Normally you think, I need more people to go to war. No, not with God. I I want less. Why? Because I want the glory to come to me when you get the victory. I want the glory to come to me. Take them down to the water and I will test them there for you. And God separated them and those who knelt and those who uh, lapped. And there were 300 that were careful and And God said, dismiss everybody else. And Gideon took those 300 to war and God delivered them. And Midian fought one another. Wouldn't it be awesome if we see the enemies of God fighting one another and there's some victory in the camp of God. There's just glory and victory. And and then we'd say, God, this is all about you. All about you. Remember Moses encountering God at the burning bush? He thought his speech impediment disqualified him from leading the nation of Israel. One of the greatest leaders who has ever led in humanity. Moses, the one who parted the Red Sea, was, um, he had issues. He said, he said to God, I'm slow of mind and I'm slow of mouth. He literally said, here's a scripture, Exodus 4, 10 through 12. But Moses replied to the Lord, please, Lord, I've never been eloquent. I've never been able to speak. I can't speak in front of people. I can't speak in front of teachers or judges or a school board or whether in the past or recently or in since. You've been speaking to your servant because I'm slow. I'm hesitant in speech. He had an impediment. Yahweh said to him, who made man's mouth? I'm I'm thinking of the movie, you know, Prince of Egypt. Anybody remember that one? If you have kids. All right. It's the voice in my head. Who made man's mouth? Okay, that's enough. (laughs) Who makes him mute or deaf, seeing or blind? Is not I Yahweh? He says, now go and I will help you speak and I'll teach you what to say. And we just need to know, we just need to believe that however deficient we feel, God is still able to use us. Whatever problem we say we have to God, I I have this problem, I I have this hindrance, I have this backup. God says, I'm the one who's sending you. I'll never bring you to it if I can't see you through it. I'll, I'll never bring you to it. I'll see you through it. Come on, we can thank the Lord for that. If, um, if God brings you to it, he will see you through it. He said to Moses, I have given you all that you need. I I know that you don't see it, but I've given you all that you need. While growing up in Philadelphia in 1920, Bernard Belasco helped another young man, a friend, learned Morse code. And uh, the young man um, earned his merit badge when he was 12. And so Belasco helped a young man and he got his merit badge and Belasco didn't. His parents were immigrants and 
He remembers being jealous because his four brothers, they didn't have enough money to pay to get into the scouts. And so he helped a young man get his merit badge. And 15 years later, while stationed in the army in the Philippines during World War II, Belasco and others watched the Navy landing ship bringing equipment to the troops as it lost its way in a typhoon. It was dangerously close to shore. It was going to crash. After efforts by Belasco's superiors to communicate with the ship's officers failed, Belasco retrieved a flashlight, and with a series of flashes, Morse code, he signaled to the ship uh, that the landing site was actually five miles to the south and where they were coming in. As the ship repeated and flashed back thanks, Belasco recalled they diverted, they went back out. Belasco recalled his training in Morse code, and he grinned like a little boy who had just earned his merit badge. You see, church, I, I, I don't know why. We often don't know why we experience difficulties in life. We often go through disappointments and hurts and difficulties, and, and we don't know why. But I think God uses difficult times. Come on, say, he uses, he uses. my trials for my testimony. So he uses what you go through later on whenever there's a bigger thing. You think, man, I lost, I didn't win, and, and this was a hardship for me, but God uses every, God never wastes a tear. Never. And so the trials and the difficulties prepare us for what God has called us to do if we'll believe that he's the one who's leading us. He's the one who's leading us. So we need change, we need belief, and we need perseverance. Lastly, King Joash of Israel Stopped way too early, way too early. In 2 Kings 13, 17 through 19, Elisha said, open the east window. So he opened it and Elisha said, shoot. And so he shot and Elisha said, the Lord's arrow of victory. Yes, the arrow of victory over Aram. So it's a symbol. He was shooting arrows and, and the prophet was saying, these arrows that you're shooting, they're the victory of the Lord over the enemy. You are to strike down the Arameans at Aphek until you've put an end to them. And Elisha said, take the arrows. So he took them. And, he, and then Elisha said to him, to the king of Israel, strike the ground. So he struck the ground three times and he stopped. Now watch this. The man of God was very angry with him and said, you should have struck the ground five or six times. Then you would have struck down Aram until you had put an end to them. But now you will only strike down Aram three times. Come on, somebody. Here's the principle. When God gets behind you to send you into a work of his, give it all you have. Don't strike the ground three times, strike the ground 12 times. Strike it and strike it and strike it and strike it and strike it. Why? Because God wants to uproot those things that we've been worshiping and they need to come out from the root. We can't leave enemies in the camp because if we do, we'll go right back to them. We go right back to the issues that we had. And so God is saying, give it all you have. Persevere. You can do it. Gideon and his 300 men, even though they were exhausted, kept advancing for the Lord's purposes. The Bible says here in Judges 8, 4, Gideon and the 300 men came to the Jordan and they crossed it. They were exhausted. How many of you don't raise your hands? How many of you are exhausted? <laughs> Heads all over like, sheesh exhausted. Here's what God's saying. Keep pursuing me. Keep pursuing me. Come on. We need some change. We need belief, but keep pursuing. The Bible says that they pursued and they overcame. They won. Then it says that after they won, Gideon went back to his house and the generation right after Gideon, because Gideon said, okay, I've, I've, I've done all these things for the Lord. I didn't think I could do it, but I did it went back to his house and 
And a generation later, that whole generation went right back to the idols that he, tore, that he had torn down and began to worship again the things that we so easily worship in this world. And so God is saying to us, persevere, fight all the way through, and then don't leave your post. Can I get an amen, church? Come on. Amen. Don't leave your post. What better example of perseverance than the U.S. Armed Forces storming the beaches of Normandy? Have you seen these clips in World War II? It's amazing. There was bad weather when we went to Normandy. It was really, it was, it was a life or death at Normandy. Bad weather. And so our, our ships that were landing on the beach had a difficult time getting in. And there was barbed wire. There was all kinds of stuff on the beach. And then there was a sheer cliff really difficult to get to. And this is the story of army medic Ray Lambert on the beaches of Normandy. Many of the landing craft were swamped by high waves, drowning most of the men. Soldiers charged forward in chest deep water, weighing down, being weighed down by as much as 90 pounds of ammunition and equipment. As they came ashore, they faced withering machine guns, artillery, and mortar fire. In the opening minutes of the battle, one estimate was 90% of the frontline GIs in some companies were killed or wounded. Within an hour, casualties mounted into the thousands. Lambert was wounded twice that morning, but was able to save more than a dozen men thanks to his bravery and skill and presence of mind. Impelled by instinct and training, a profound sense of responsibility, he rescued many from drowning, bandaged many others, shielded the wounded, and administered morphine shots, including two to himself so that he could finish the job. Come on. Can we give an amen? Can we give an amen for our men and women who serve our country? Here's the picture of Ray Lambert. <clears throat> so many men and women have died and bled for this nation. So many men and women. Jesus bled and died for our salvation, the grace that God has given to us. And, and you know, it just, it's, we're at that moment. We're at that moment where we need a turning point. We really do. I was, uh, I'll end with this. I was at my son's basketball game because that's uh, where anointed people go. And uh, it, we were playing a team that was really rough and very, they weren't a Christian team. And so, you know, amen. And we're a Christian, they're a Christian team, goes to a Christian school. And this team was just rough and, and, uh, they were pulling jerseys and not were they just pulling jerseys. During the first portion of the game, several of our kids got pushed all the way to the ground. This is a basketball game, just, just pushed. And my son went up for a rebound and this one young man about the same size, they went up for the rebound. When they came down, he grabbed my son by the head and he tried to sling him to the ground. Now this is in a basketball game, you guys. And so I try to be good at these things. I try to keep my peace. Can I, you guys know anybody? I just try to keep my peace. It gets a little bit, it gets a little heated. It just, you know what I mean? But when my, so when he grabbed my son, I found myself on my feet and I was saying, no. And I was saying really loud, no, 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 no. And then I recognized, oh yeah, I'm a pastor. <laughs> I should probably not get kicked out of this game. Now here's what I mean, now here's what I mean. If that kind of intensity and wrong would have continued, not only would I would have been standing, but I would have been on the court. And at that point, it doesn't matter if they escort me out, the game, out of the game because it would be a bigger injustice to sit there with my mouth closed and see that go on on the court. 
Sometimes we did so, so in our culture, I just want to get this in your spirit and then we'll pray and close. Listen, sometimes we have to say that's enough. That's enough. That's enough. Come on, somebody. Come on, church. We just, we just, let's pray. Let's pray. Say, Lord Jesus, today I surrender. I give you my whole heart. I give you my whole life. Do with me whatever you wish. Lord Jesus, come on every voice. Lord Jesus, I receive you as Savior. I believe you died for me and you were raised from the dead. We hope you enjoyed that message from our lead pastor, Greg Dumas. You can subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash crossingchurch where you can watch all of our messages on demand and our live service broadcasts. You can also download the Crossing Church app to stay up on all the latest events. Go to wearecrossing.com slash app. We hope to see you this weekend at one of our locations. For all times and campuses, visit wearecrossing.com.